Kerala Technology Podcast from an Indian perspective. This is episode number 4 for 22nd February 2009, the App Store Bandwagon. This is Aditya and then along with me, I have Sakit again. Hi guys. Hey Sakit. So what's been going on in your technology life? We've had a fun-filled news week and I mean, I mean many things happened this week uh, starting with an issue with Facebook's terms of service, then there's a landmark uh, Pirate Bay trial going on. Yeah. And Microsoft and Nokia have launched uh, their own versions of the App Store. But we'll anyway get into that later. Let's start with the India stories. Let's first. start with the India stories. Just the last time we spoke about how, you know, the Indian government is getting all tech savvy and putting security measures into place. Yeah. And having said that, the MEA, which is Ministry of External Affairs, Computers, got hacked. And by the way, again, okay, this has already happened back in May 2008 and it again happened on Sunday. Uh, yeah, I think around 600 Ministry of External Affairs uh, computers got hacked and some of them even included those uh, which were dealing with Pakistan uh, affairs. Pakistan, so, yes, the covert Pakistan section as it says uh, in the in the press. So I, I think, uh, I don't know how, what exactly these people mean by saying that the computers were hacked because uh, uh, I've also read uh, as a part of the news release that essentially this had something to do with malware. Right. It was basically that the machines were inspected by spyware which is basically you know, a, a bug that gets into your computer taking control of the user's action is, yeah. is what the press release says. It's very interesting about how it works in the ministry itself. You know, senior officials have been saying that everyone has two computers, okay? One which connects to the internet and the other one is for classified work, which is not connected. Isn't that an awful wastage of resources? Yeah, it is, it is. But you know, in, if it is connected to the internet, it is bound to get hacked, all right? So, so this is the foolproof way of ensuring that the classified documents are not uh, are not accessible via the internet. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. But I think uh, more than that, uh, I, I believe it's also about uh, how up to date your systems are. I mean, like, and I've personally been to government offices. I've seen machines which were really old. I mean, machines running Windows 98 and Windows 2000. <laughs> uh, I mean, still being used. So yeah. all these come with IE5 uh, or maybe even an older version of IE6. So, I mean, these machines are full of holes to begin with. Uh, then they try to artificially restrict this using firewalls and so on and so forth. But my point here is that unless and until the infrastructure itself is overhauled with respect to security and uh, I don't think this will stop because, uh, I mean, uh, it's not that this, this is just the MEA in question here. I mean, every uh, every few weeks or every few months, there is some of the other Indian government site which gets hacked. And I mean, there has to be something decisive which needs to be done about. Right, and and I don't think it necessarily is a technology issue, you know. Uh, by, by simply doing some social engineering over the phone, it might be very easy to get information out of MEA computers as well. Just talk to people. Social engineering apart, I mean, you can also do bribing. So, exactly, uh, that's the easiest way, I would think, you know, rather than having hackers do it, if, if I was someone who wanted to get information out, it, uh, out from there, I would just bribe someone and they'll give me Xerox copies of whatever document you know, I want. Another thing I've seen is that since these computers are all infected with spyware, it is very clear that nobody actually attacked the computers, but there was some user-initiated action. So I don't know what purposes these computers are used for, but I mean, if they are infected with spyware, I mean, it may be that uh, people inside the, these uh, I mean, complexes are actually accessing sites which should not be accessed. Yeah, probably. I mean, as they said, you know, one of the computers is open to the internet. And now that we know that they have put in all those policies, it might get a bit more difficult. But uh, let's see what happens. And by the way, uh, this the, the attack that happened in 2008 
what was traced back to Chinese hackers. Right? So, uh, so obviously those guys are expected to be the ones involved in this one as well. But uh, let's see, you know. No, no, when it comes to Chinese hackers, I've got a point to make actually. I mean, everywhere on the internet, when anything gets hacked, uh, there is this talk about Chinese hackers. Is it Chinese? No, no, yeah. I, I, I don't really think that there are so many Chinese hackers out there in the world. I mean, it's more about, I mean, Chinese machines being compromised and being used to carry out these attacks. That's Proxy what it's about. Proxy attack, right? Proxy attack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But talking about internet security, India finally decided to amend its nine-year-old IT Act and has decided to include the newer scenarios that have now come up uh, since they first introduced the IT Act back in 2000. Uh, specifically, this act tries to bring in cyber terrorism. Now, I don't know what is defined as cyber terrorism. Maybe I mean, the attack story um, qualifies as cyber terrorism. So basically, cyber terrorism, identity theft, so which can include phishing and things like that, yes. and privacy violations are now under the purview of cyber crime. Especially after all the recent bombings that have been happening, the pattern has been that someone, someone gets an email claiming responsibility for it. Earlier, there used to be videotapes and you know all those sort of things. But now, it's an email that is sent out to all the media outlets. So, it, it basically makes cyber terrorism a, a lot more relevant now. Uh, yes, indeed, uh, yes, it does. And I mean, like, they're trying to bring this into the purview. But I mean, like, I would very much like to see a clear definition of what constitutes cyber terrorism. Critics of this act are worried that uh, uh, because this act gives the government uh, the right to snoop into any computer in India to investigate any offense, uh, means that a lot of people's privacy will get compromised. I mean, unless and until there is a uh, there is a requirement that there has to be a certain prerequisites to uh, for, for the government to be allowed to do that. Yeah, but you know what? Even even today, if you are caught carrying pornographic material, you know, homemade pornographic material if on your cell phone or on your laptop you can be criminally charged. So all the videos, if you have any videos that you have gotten from uh, Debonair blog or what have you, you, you can totally be charged under the IT Act. In your response, you lost that privacy a long back ago. Yeah, I guess so. But obviously governments and intelligence agencies and everybody has been snooping on citizens for a while. I mean, ever since the internet came into being. But having an official statement which expressly grants the government certain rights is makes it more prone to misuse. No, that's true, that's true. And and there are there are pros and cons of having this, you know. I believe that it is required, but it shouldn't be overdone, you know. I understand. So so that is where I come from and that's my take. And by the way, this IT Act, the amendment this time focuses particularly on child pornography. It focuses on child pornography and I mean, while it mentions specifically that producing obscene content is illegal without specifying what obscene content is, right. it, it also very clearly mentions that child pornography and uh, with respect to child pornography, even viewing it is determined as illegal. Right. And, uh, and, and the maximum, and maximum is, uh, uh, punishment of five years in jail plus a 10 lakh fine can be imposed. So, so I mean, this is something I, I mean I agree about. I mean, we need to protect uh, I mean children against uh, exploitation for child pornography. So, and so, so that's a positive thing about this act. Yeah, and, uh, I I think this this problem is more prevalent in the Western countries than in India. But I can be very wrong about this. It's a big bad word out there. It yeah, and while we are talking about you know breaches and um, how IT Act has been amended, Hotmail's captcha was again cracked. 
Yeah, actually, let me try and educate our users on this. For those who, I mean, do not know, CAPTCHA stands for Completely Automated Public Turing Test to tell humans and computers apart. <laughs> that, that's awesome. I didn't yeah. know that, you know. Yeah, that's pretty much of a mouthful. But uh, <laughs> uh, essentially, this means those letters which uh, uh, come up in an image format, which you have to copy and type in a field just to prove that you're a human while signing up for any account on the internet and, or maybe commenting on a forum. So, so that is CAPTCHA. And, so, and so that, has been, that, yeah. that has been uh, cracked and now computers can act as humans. Yeah, actually spammers and botnets have been constantly waging wars against uh, CAPTCHA ever since they have come into being because CAPTCHA has been very effective in uh, curtailing the spam. So, I mean, like, uh, there have been botnets who try and come up with intelligent software which can crack these CAPTCHAs. So, Microsoft and Google both got their CAPTCHAs cracked last year. And, and, and every time these CAPTCHAs get cracked, the companies are forced to uh, change their algorithm. So, uh, last week, Microsoft's Hotmail CAPTCHA was cracked again. And uh, I mean, as so of now, is, I don't think there is a solution. So, so, so what basically happens after uh, CAPTCHA is breached is that fake accounts are created, you know, one after the other, putting a lot of pressure on companies, servers, etc. And in some cases also, and this is very interesting, okay, and this has happened, the Russian mafia uses this technology to get money out of companies. Have you heard about those yeah. stories? This is like protection money, but online. So especially... All the online retailers are under threat from these sort of... But I will, I will definitely go ahead and post some links to these stories. Uh, the methods of cracking CAPTCHA have been, you know, getting more and more ingenious. So while, I mean, uh, the Hotmail CAPTCHA crack was automated, there's also a human angle to this. There are uh, teams of people who actually provide the CAPTCHA cracking services on demand. for. <laughs> So, and it is known that uh, a lot of these groups operate in India of all places. Yeah, exactly. And uh, more interestingly, uh, I have also come across stories in the past where a crowdsource, a crowdsourcing was used to crack captures. So essentially what would happen was that uh, you as Aditya Matre would go to some site to download something, something possibly illegal media torrent site, something like that. And to download that file, they would show you a capture. Now you would obviously fill in the, uh, I mean you would fill, fill in that capture and that capture would not be an auto-generated capture, that capture would have been picked up real-time from some other websites. So what they do is that they have got a network of download websites who have a capture for the users and whatever captures they wish to, wish to crack, they simply pass these on to these sites and these are then cracked by human users unknowingly in real-time. Uh, uh, uh. Interesting. You really need a lot of users doing this though. I mean, there are. I mean, for sites like RapidShare, I mean, they have so much traffic that for them this is ridiculously easy. So moving on to the next uh, event that happened this past week is the Mobile Web Congress Conference where a couple of companies had some interesting announcements to make, uh, Sakit. Uh, of many things, I think many new handsets were unveiled, especially I mean, HTC has unveiled the next Android phone. few of new handsets have been released, but the two most important announcements have been uh, Microsoft and Nokia, both announcing uh, their own versions or, or their own implementation of, of an app store. App store seems to be the golden hen, the thing that every mobile company has to have. Yes, the app store is, is a buzzword. I mean, like everybody and their auntie is doing it. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean if, you're, 
if you're producing mobile phones, then you better have an have an app store. That seems to be the idea. And I mean, it was the iPhone who actually brought in this concept because I mean, like Nokia has been around for a while and they have had uh, mobile phone apps for I don't know how long. But till now, there was no such centralized uh, application serving platform. And th- there is full marks to iPhone for uh, actually bringing this uh, concept in. We we had we had in fact discussed about Microsoft's marketplace. I think it was in the last episode. Yes, you know, we, where, we where discussed where the Microsoft marketplace. Yeah, and and we said that. This is going to this is going to come, but it was a rumor at that point. And guess what? They finally announced it at Mobile Web Conference. Yeah, the Mobile Web Conference was actually a big thing for Microsoft this time around because uh, I mean uh, they, they announced their App Store all right, but this was announced as a part of a bigger package, uh, which essentially meant uh, the newer release of uh, Windows Mobile, which is uh, version 6.5. So, so this is a new release which comes in with a new UI and a newer Internet Explorer and so on and so forth. And it bundles together the marketplace. Yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the problems with Windows Mobile is that it has been having the same interface right from the day it launched. You know, not a lot, of, a lot, not a lot has changed since then. And this time around, they have a honeycomb interface for accessing icons and so on and so forth. Right. So, I, and, and I don't know, I haven't seen the screenshots or any videos of the newer UI, and I just hope that it's better than what we have right now. Because the HP Touch and all those phones, they are great. But, but, but the Windows Mobile 6 is what, what holds it down, I feel. I think both releases of Windows, that is Windows on the desktop as well as mobile, have been plagued with, you know, not being new enough or not being fresh enough. So that's what Microsoft has been trying to do. I mean, like on the desktop, they're trying to go ahead with Windows 7. Now, apparently, Windows Mobile 7 is not getting released till 2010. So uh, they've decided to come out with Windows uh, Mobile 6.5 right now and bring in a new UI. I mean, I, mean, I think they desperately needed to do this because uh, Windows Mobile market share has been dwindling for a while now. I mean, it, yeah. from what I've heard, it was at uh, 20. 54% in 2004, and now it is just 12%. So, I mean, a 50% loss over four years is huge. Yeah, I agree. And, and plus, I think, I think Microsoft is is better placed than Nokia to make their marketplace or make their mobile device, mobile operating system uh, a success because they have both sides of the, of, of you know, I mean, they, they have a desktop operating system as well as a, a mobile operating system. And they can make those two systems play together much better than Nokia can ever do, right? But then Nokia has the advantage because it manufactures the handset. So, I mean, you can, depending on which side of the table you're sitting on, I mean, you can argue either way. That, yeah, that's, I mean, uh, Microsoft has never really gotten into hardware except for its mouse. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's... No, there is Xbox, I mean. Of there course, is, I there's a, see, Xbox, I don't think of it as a Microsoft product at all. It is completely something that doesn't seem to come from Microsoft, you know. So okay. for me, that is a completely different uh, un- untouched by Microsoft. So but in any case, to give you the details on the Nokia store, so the Nokia store is called the OV store, that is O-V-I, and it is set for a launch in May. So it's going to be available on Series 60 and Series 40 devices, and the first device to officially include it will be the N97, which is rumored to be launched in June. Yep, and it, the publishers, whoever, all the publishers, the developers, whoever are interested can already start registering, uh, although I have read the reports that the registration process isn't working as well, and, you know, they are, they are being asked to come visit them back again later on. But check OV store or just try registering yourself out there. Now, the interesting thing, Saket, I feel here is that S60 
developers that there are a lot of s60 developers out there but it and i think even you mentioned it uh, earlier that it never was centralized no it never was centralized ever i mean like it's not just nokia we even talking all other manufacturers and and what happens when it's not centralized is that it becomes a security hazard right it's a security threat because who is actually signing off on these applications which a user is going to put on his cell phone and cell phone we know is the the most personal device that one uses and has a lot of information built into it you got your contacts on it you got the photos that you take and you got your schedule on it so the important thing in centralization is that it lends it credibility i expect to see a lot of uptake in this particular area nokia App Store, I think is going no, to. No, I agree with you. Security has been a huge benefit of uh, App Storeism, as we can call this trend, because I mean, like, rather than going to any random site and downloading an okay. app, which might be fraught with risk, it's better to download from the official App Store. That 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 is exactly what I meant. You know, you do a much better job in putting things concisely. I just keep going round and round. So uh, never mind that. So the next story, Facebook has gone back to its old terms of service after there was a huge controversy when uh, last Sunday they changed uh, their terms of service briefly. Basically, what the change meant was even if you decide to delete your account on Facebook, they still own all the data related to you. You know, your your photos, messages, and any comments that you might have made on anybody else's profile. will still be retained and can be used for advertising and various other purposes kind of sounding very vague actually that's the whole idea to be vague so that they can use your data in any way they that they want to so understandably this has sparked a lot of protests with users forming groups on facebook on blogs and so on and so forth and there is this new group called uh, people against the new terms of service what mark zuckerberg initially tried to do was that he wrote a post explaining uh, facebook's position saying that i mean uh, when you comment on a thread or when you even post photos to a common pool and you actually become a part of the community so uh, wanting to delete all that information after you quit is um, amounts to being selfish and uh, and the only reason that they would retain these uh, messages was to uh, keep the social fabric of facebook intact now now what has happened is that they have realized that this has caused a lot of trouble with uh, people and people are not liking it they have decided to go back to their earlier terms of service but at the same time they're trying to look at uh, ways to properly word the next uh, terms of service uh, that they will come up with and uh, barry schnitt who is the senior manager for corporate communications at facebook has been interacting with the same groups who were protesting earlier in their message boards and they've also set up a new group called uh, bill of rights where the discussion is happening so if you feel strongly about this i think you should uh, uh, go to facebook uh, look for these groups and have your say yeah but you know the whole point comes down to who actually owns this data and as we are going to go into our next story which has really become a big controversy is that last.fm a social online radio web service no, last.fm i would put it as essentially a music share sharing service where people can share their musical likes and dislikes by just letting other people know what they're listening to so and then music being shared thereby basically what happened was that youtube is coming up with its new rock album and the new new album is called no line on the horizon and it has already gotten leaked and has found its way onto various torrent sites etc Now what Raya which is a recording industry artists association if i'm not wrong yeah that is the correct acronym yes yeah so this went to last dot fm who is owned by cbs and said that we would like data 
of all the users who have these songs on their computer who are actually scrolling and listening to these songs right exactly and, so and last.fm has a software a piece of software that the users actually install on their computer forget the name audio scroller yes it's called audio scroller so what what this piece of software does is that it keeps a tab on whatever you are listening and reports back to last.fm it reports back on which are the tracks that you own and how many times have you heard those tracks etc and keeps on reporting it back to last.fm so what it does is essentially maintains a page wherein it lists all the songs that you've been listening to in reverse chronological order out of that you can specifically favorite tracks which you like and then you can make friends as well so you know what your friends are listening to and your friends know what you are listening to that seems to be the whole idea and now since they possess this critical data uh, ria has approached them and surprisingly they have given away information related to this to ria without actually we having been legally obliged to do so yeah exactly and and it's interesting that uh, the terms of service the, or the privacy policy on last.fm also clearly states that the user's data could be made available to any of the organization or representatives of the organizations who have registered with last.fm yeah so obviously they might be in the clear legally but i mean to speak in moral terms think this is to some extent a privacy violation not completely because what last.fm has done is essentially given this a huge amount of data in one compact set to the raya but if you were actually just a user on the site you could still get information on who is the top listener for what track but obviously there will be a lot of hard work and supposedly the team that handed over this data weren't told about what the data was meant for at the end of the day i would say it's been a really bad show let's see what happens these are all rumors and you know the the founder of last.fm and ceo they have come on to various blogs or forums and have vehemently denied providing any of this okay but there are reports that this data has already gone out to raya yeah yes. when it comes to music piracy uh, what we're seeing this week is the landmark trial the biggest torrent site on the internet the pirate bay is being sued by a consortium of music producers and for damages amounting to about 13 million dollars for assisting copyright infringement and making available copyrighted files yeah so very surprised at the meager amount that these guys are asking for 13 million sounds to be a very low amount doesn't it but well, it's also um, with respect to how much they can prove or how much information they have so i mean whenever these charges are framed they are always framed for pirating some specific track or album and it is never that uh, there is there can't be a general lawsuit so what uh, pirate bay has done is that they have actually played up the whole lawsuit they have very interesting things like they have a pirate bus they are talking to the lawyers in a very very casual way they are they are not following the rules per se you know i'm putting air quotes right now while approaching this trial this is been very interesting this trial because pirate bay has taken a completely irreverent attitude towards i mean law in general and this trial in particular because i mean like they have got this huge pirate bus with skull and crossbones and uh, this bus uh, is parked outside the court where i mean there are lots of people uh, shouting waving slogans and so on and so forth and and, and what the funny thing is that they have they, they are enjoying tremendous public support in this people love this service don't get me wrong you know and Pirate Bay is also claiming that 80% of the material that they have on their site is not copyrighted. So we actually come back to the same argument because I mean, like, so this this is something what they're calling the King Kong defense. Now, uh, it is actually a funny name, but uh, this is something which is quite coined about uh, a week ago. Yeah. So what they're trying to say is that uh, so suppose the user called King Kong. 
unless and until it is proven that the people who are being sued which are essentially four people running pirate bay have specifically interacted with this user king kong and given him the files they can't have been said to be uh, assisting copyright infringement hey, because uh, yep. this case has a precedent where another music search engine which essentially just searched files on the web which ended with the .mp3 extension was sued for copyright violations again and uh, i mean the and the root and the view taken then was that uh, it's essentially a search engine and you can use it to search anything so uh, if anybody is guilty here it is the person who has put up the file and not necessarily in uh, the, the engine exactly and if for someone who knows how the how torrents work is uh, it, it's not first of all it's not centrally hosted it's a completely distributed system so and the data also does not reside within the dot torrent file itself the point is even if there is a torrent file which pirate bay has on its servers or even pirate bay is tracking that torrent file the very fact is that it is being seeded by normal people like you and me so unless and until that torrent has seeders it is worth nothing right exactly so th- that is that is the main defense and and by the way if guruji's music servers guruji.com which is an indian yeah. search engine it has a music service as well with through which you can actually get links to downloading mp3 files and they have a disclaimer on their site which says things similar to what pirate bay is saying that we don't host the files we are simply providing for the search facilities to get to those files so if people have a problem they actually have to contact the person who is actually hosting those files and not guruji till now i think with respect to this trial the prosecution has uh, uh, i mean um, uh, continually proved itself incompetent when it comes to uh, matters like yeah. uh, torrent technology and uh, and they've been forced to drop 50% of charges yeah because so, they, they, they they don't know how the system works right these are a bunch of lawyers who got together and have decided to get the maximum amount of money for the clients but they don't know how the whole system works therefore they are making these mistakes while presenting facts which is leading them to drop these charges itself yeah i think what happened on the second day was when the prosecution made their claims and uh, actually had a statement out there the, the statement by the prosecution incorrectly understood how torrents work in the first place that's when uh, the charges for assisting copyright infringement were dismissed because there was no clear way to prove that that is what was happening uh, now the, the, the only charges which remain now are connected with making available of copyrighted content so which is a different i mean offense i don't think that's going to hold up making available of copyrighted content because they are not they are just making available the torrent files that don't even contain the data so what do you think is going to happen in this any any guesses my guess is that this is going to be a landmark trial so whatever happens in this trial is going to set some precedence and i mean i mean from uh, swedish copyright laws are also uh, not as stringent or as pro industry as american law so piracy is already at an advantage here and um, i think it is more and more being proven that piracy is a sociological thing rather than i mean a for profit thing uh, i think the model needs to change i think the model in the i think the model needs to change yeah they have to move on i don't know what because if i knew what what should be done i would be a millionaire by now but i know that the model has to be changed so talking about one thing that is ha- happening in a scandinavian country let's move on to another country in scandinavia again norway declares a war on ai i by ai i mean not ai as in marathi but internet explorer 6 <laughs> oh my god that was a yeah. bad one oh my god that was a bad one sorry that one i Norway does not want to declare war on their moms but 
going back to the story, several prominent websites in Norway, they are refusing to support Internet Explorer version 6 browser. And users who have the Internet Explorer are greeted with a message saying that they need to upgrade to IE7. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's what happening. So actually, what it started with last week when uh, uh, an important uh, Norwegian site called fin.no, that is F-I-N-N.no, essentially an eBay-like website, started posting a message uh, on the homepage uh, wherein if a user was using IE6, he was informed that it was not a browser which was widely supported and that it had several failings and that the user should uh, I mean, upgrade to IE7. And later on, this is snowballed and I mean, like dozens of sites have actually joined this campaign and there's a wiki being maintained online or uh, there is a Facebook group and all these sites are posting notices saying that uh, IE6 should be abandoned and users should either move to IE7 or get another standard compliant browser. I mean, I don't know how standard compliant IE7 is, but I mean, there are better browsers out there like uh, Safari, Firefox, Opera, uh, Google Chrome, but anything but IE. Anything but IE. And in fact, Microsoft is also supporting the campaign now. So the Norwegian news site Technisk UK Blad reports that uh, Microsoft Norway says that we of course hope that our users follow us and upgrade to Internet Explorer 7. So even Microsoft is getting behind this campaign because you know, why not, you know? Because IE6 has been a, a sort of a pain in the backside, hasn't it? Very, very much so. Because I, I've been in the web development uh, business per se, and, and I mean, uh, I, I know how much trouble IE6 causes. This has been discussed so many times at so many places uh, on so many websites. But I mean, the fact remains that IE6 was released in 2001. So uh, if you're standing here in 2009, we're dealing with eight-year-old software. So I, I, mean, I think, I think the, the the problem also goes back to the enterprise because a lot of enterprises are still using using Windows 2000 software on their machines. Yeah. Now IE6 comes bundled with Windows 2000 on machines and until that changes, until the enterprises change their systems, it's going to be difficult for people to upgrade IE6. I think Vista here is to blame because how co the, the way uh, software gets implemented I mean, at corporates is essentially a volume license of an entire operating system gets implemented across the organization. And, and like because Vista has been such a terrible failure, uh, there are so many corporations who are just sticking with IE6 and not trying to upgrade to IE7 using XP because maybe that's too much trouble. So they'll do it when they'll upgrade the whole OS. Right, so, exactly. Uh, and, and, and enterprises also, in my experience, what I've noticed is that they tend to skip version. So after 2000, they, a lot of enterprises just skipped XP and were waiting for the next thing because you know they have made a lot of investment in buying volume licenses. They want to make the most of it. But Vista just couldn't hold it hold itself, and uh, hence people are still stuck with all these. I mean, Vista simply wasn't good enough, and I mean, like uh, Microsoft has had a heavy price to pay because I mean, like uh, whether they like it or not, I mean, they have moved from having a 96% market share to a 67% market share and something which is rapidly falling. Which is so, rapidly I mean, even though it is 60% right, 67% right now, it might still go down. Dude, but Windows 7. I keep on talking about it. Uh, I almost quit on the, on the Mac system and went back Windows 7. So but how good is IE8, honestly? I mean, IE8 has a lot of security things which are annoying. But once you set it up, for the first week or so, it's going to be annoying as hell for you. Because you got to make all those settings for each, for the sites that you visit, etc. But once those settings are done, it's awesome. I have not experienced IE8 crash on me.
you know, so even 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 with ten tabs open and all those things, because I I I did all those tests and you know I wanted to make sure that it can handle all this. But one of the annoying things is that I think Firefox comes with uh, inbuilt Flash support and I eight does not. You know, so when I started using I eight, I actually couldn't see any of the Flash elements. And also, it did not give me a placeholder and a message which said that you need to get Flash plugin installed on i. No, but I think that has to change because when they actually finally release Windows Seven, I am sure as hell that Flash will be a part of the default system installed. Because if you do a clean install of XP as of today, uh, you have Flash support. So what what possibly is happening is because the software is still in beta, uh, maybe they haven't really bundled Flash as yet, but might when it actually makes it to RTM. Yeah, I just hope because they are also trying to push their own Flash clone called Silverlight. So I just hope that they they don't do the stupidity of not you know shipping out the Flash plugin along with the installer. I think if they don't ship out the Flash plugin and only ship out Silverlight, first thing is that they are going to shoot themselves in the foot because people will be pissed when they'll have to download Flash the first time around. And secondly, uh, they might have another big antitrust case on their hands. So I mean, they better not. Do that. Oh yes, 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 and that's about it. For this week's episode, uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter.com. My ID is Twitter.com/slash/kesimhatre, and Saket is. I can be followed at uh, Twitter.com/slash/valturo. That is V-U-L-T-U-R-O. Uh, I am on the web at www.valturo.com. The official website for this podcast is www.theindicast.com. Uh, that's about it. Don't forget to comment. Don't forget to talk to your friends about Tekka Masala and get them on board. Bye. ಸೋಹೆ ಭುಜಾಚಾರ ಏಕದಂತ ಚಂದ್ರಮಾಲ ಲಾಟ ರಾಜೆ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ವಿಷ್ಣು ಮಹ